0: Head to the slash merch. Every purchase helps
1: us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch
0: today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: Oh, I know. You're telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great conversations.
1: In Season 6, our Disease Films series had adaptations like The Omega Man based on I Am Legend, The Andromeda Strain, Children of Men, and Blindness.
0: I Am Legend is so much better than The Omega Man. What about the Will Smith version? Don't get me started. For our This Is Real
1: Life Jack series, we talked Black Hawk Down and Seabiscuit. Some great true stories based on fantastic books.
0: And we had more listeners' choices like The Fly, The Emigrants, and Scott
1: Pilgrim Versus The World. You just did a series on The Fly on the Sitting in the Dark podcast. Did you read the
0: original material? Wasn't watching every Fly movie enough? <laughs> our big
1: Betty Davis series featured adaptations like The Little Foxes, Now Voyager, All About Eve, and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane.
0: Are you calling Betty Davis big?
1: only in personality
0: and force. She is a force to be reckoned with.
1: (laughs) We talked about the entire The Godfather trilogy, of course, iconic page to screen, even if it is just the one Mario Puzo book. Wonder if Coppola will ever make the Sicilian.
0: We also had some Zhang Yimou adaptations with Judo and Raise the Red Lantern. Absolutely gorgeous movies.
1: And don't forget the Hughes Brothers series with From Hell based on the graphic novel.
0: Brilliant material. Kelly Reichardt gave us Wendy and Lucy and Certain Women, adapted from short stories.
1: Plus more Hayao Miyazaki as we tackled Howl's Moving Castle.
0: Find all these books and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports the show.
1: Get the full list of adapted films that we've covered at thenextreelcom slash originals and start your next read today.
0: NextReel, everybody I'm Pete Wright and that right there is Andy Nelson. Hello. And we spoil movies tonight on the show. It's our first 2017 listener's choice film. This week Pony Prize winner Finn Froda brings us the 1971 Swedish epic The Immigrants. No, it's not The Emigrants. I can't even read it straight. <laughs> immigrants are immigrants. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at the Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at the next reel and we don't have a blot spot front of the show Ben Lott has not made it out to theaters yet to see uh, last week's movie that's on us for choosing a current release film but we do have some follow-up elsewhere on the interwebs that's right Nick Langdon wrote in over on Facebook about Hero
1: uh he had some great comments lots of great thoughts on the film noticed uh, something about Kurosawa. We obviously had mentioned Rashomon as something that uh, there's a nice parallel there, but he said he noticed some other Kurosawa parallels, mostly in the way Zhang used both weather, especially wind and rain, as well as the reaction of large groups. He not only deploys his People's Liberation Army extras for large-scale battle scenes, but in the calligraphy school and with the king's advisors having dozens of people reacting lent extra emotional weight to that particular moment in the story. And uh, Nick also pointed out something about the fight scenes that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, He says, uh, a thought occurs about the fight scenes. By the end, we understand that only the ones in the third act actually took place. Aside from the green-hued one where Broken Sword and Flying Snow attacked the the Chin capital, the others are white in color and are also mostly quite realistic in their choreography. This is in contrast to the more fantastical fights described first by Nameless and then by the king when he calls out Nameless for his fictional tale. So therefore, the extravagant wire foo and the bright primary colors originate in the idealized or augmented vision of reality, the tales that grow taller in the telling.
0: Oh, that's a great observation. Yeah, I really want
1: to go back and watch it again to really pay attention to those colors and uh, when it, uh, it it becomes white or becomes uh, yeah. less extravagant to see exactly how that plays into reality versus the uh, the fictionalized
0: storytelling. Yeah, that's really wonderful. That's a great observation. Thank you, Nick. With that, Andy, it's time... Let's do trailers. I don't know. I thought I I thought I had something this week. I thought I had a trailer that was that was weird enough, but <laughs> then you, then I saw yours. I I feel like I'm not even really showing up to the game. Oh, I dug, man. I dug. <laughs> you dug so deep. You dug so deep. I I don't know. I'm gonna go first just so I can get it out of the way. I gotta get it off my chest. Do it. I I went with the film uh, Bright, Bright. It's a it's it, Will Smith's new thing, written by uh, first by Max Landis and then rewritten by David Ayer, and uh, it stars Will Smith and Numi Rapace and Lucy Fry and other people. And the whole reason I picked it, like, it was it, the you know the the character list is Edgerton as Nick Jacoby the first orc cop. And I thought, okay, okay, I'll, I'll see that movie. So I got very excited about this. I don't really understand it. It is described as, quote, a contemporary cop thriller, but with fantastical elements. Uh, I, you know, that, that could mean anything. The trailer's bananas. In fact, there are orcs and cops. Uh, and, you know, Max Landis has kind of an eye and an ear for these things the other piece is you know it, this this continues our thread on the craziness that is embedding itself in next netflix distribution deals this is another netflix thing they picked it up for 90 million uh and uh, it comes out uh, to come out later this year what do you what do you think how did the trailer hit you Seems like vanilla pudding compared to your trailer this week. So,
1: (laughs) well, it's and it's hard to say because it really is just a teaser. I mean, it's like a, you know, 30 second TV commercial, really. Um, Yeah. But it, I mean, watching it during the Oscars really intrigued me. It looked like something that uh, was going to be a thrill. uh, The fact that Netflix has it um, just brought to mind all the great. comic book shows that they have there and this just kind of seems like something like that it has a really interesting vibe um some interesting characters uh i'd like to see will smith return to form and do some uh, more great stuff i I really uh, do think he's just got an amazing presence Um, i just don't feel like he's been hitting it out of the park for a while and i think that this looks just crazy and i i mean i didn't uh uh, it starts so normally in the in the In the trailer, and then it builds, and you start seeing the you see a quick shot of the orc. You see, I don't know what Rooney uh, or not is it Rooney Mara?
0: Numi Rapace, Numi
1: Rapace. Yeah, I'm getting my girls with the dragon tattoos mixed up. Yes, (laughs) uh, uh, Numi. Like I don't know, she's like a witch woman or something. It it looks like a really interesting blend of fantasy and uh, uh, modern uh, cop storytelling. So, uh, <laughs> color me curious.
0: I will color I you exactly that, Andy. I, this one it it comes out in December. It should hit Netflix in December. I can't help but think that we're at some sort of a pivot point, right? an inflection point with Netflix that these big money deals that they've been making uh f- to be exclusive distributors of some bigger named properties I, I wonder what the impact is that uh, of that is going to be these investments they they better pay off but it's r- going to be really hard to tell how they pay off without a box office right i mean they tend to be very tight-lipped about the kind of data that we can get from these from from their service Right, I mean, do you have any way to to judge how an original Netflix or Hulu um, exclusive performs?
1: I've never seen like a, a something like a Nielsen sort of thing that has been developed right. that has started pumping that sort of information out. I would
0: love that. Even subscriber numbers is going to be like a trailing quarterly thing, right? They don't report that every time. Report that I think they report that in, during earnings season, but I'm not even sure. So I, I just think it's going to be really telling because I, I wonder if people are going to, you know, if if a large number of people are going to be browsing Netflix late at night looking for something to watch and they find a Will Smith movie and it's a generic Will Smith movie. You know, it could be just another Will Smith movie with orcs on Netflix because I tend to go to Netflix for movies with orcs. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like I, I, how well are they going to be able to let these things stand out? And and they're, you know, they're they're cultivating a really interesting slate for the rest of this year. I hope that it is. Uh, uh, I, I hope that that they their promotions live up to it.
1: Hey, if it's a show that has uh, the FBI having a magic division, I'm all for it.
0: <laughs> true, true that. Well, and you know, Brad William Henke plays Dorku, the imposing and scary leader of the Fog Teeth Orcs gang.
2: Well. <laughs> There you i'm
0: go. in
1: <laughs> what's yours mine is a, a russian film um called the bride and you know i've got to say uh this is just a really wacky crazy looking trailer um that seems to almost be a few different trailers all kind of cut together <laughs> i don't fully <laughs> understand exactly what's going on uh with this wacky trailer um it's directed by Sviatoslav Podzievsky. I don't know much about Sviatoslav, but it looks really crazy. Uh, he, he, if you look at his uh, directing um, portfolio, he, he's definitely done things that sound like big kind of uh, effects sorts of things. Uh, you know, some shorts called like uh, Non-Human and Intimates. And then a feature called Queen of Spades, The Dark Right, and now The Bride. And he's got some other ones coming out, New World and The Envelope. Uh, It looks like a very interesting director who's doing some of these kind of really creepy horror things that have a lot. Unfortunately, a lot of the tropes that we see a lot now where, you know, somebody it's kind of like doing that. The Exorcist spider walk and, you know, you've got the creepy head turning or the eyes opening and it's just white eyes underneath. And there's a lot of those sorts of things all through this trailer it uh, you know, I I don't know if it looks good, but it looks wacky and it looks creepy. Uh, maybe not to the extent of the mermaid. Uh, the what was it the the Swiss mermaid movie that
0: you yeah uh, you picked
1: a few weeks. Turns ago? Turns
0: out mermaids are bad. Yes, indeed.
1: But this does have an interesting look, and I think it it has a sense from the trailer that there's this element of um, uh, kind of based on some of the uh, kind of the old things like just kind of the the histories of of the way that people used to take photos of their dead relatives and stuff like that i mean that element is super creepy but then you get that this photographer at the beginning taking photos of this bride uh, whose head keeps falling down and her eyes are painted on her eyelids and then of course she opens it's all scary and stuff but it probably is going to be horrible
0: but the trailer looked really cool what did you think i don't know man well, I, you know, predictably, I wasn't crazy about it. I actually, I think you're right. I think the story is in the first, like, minute and a half of the trailer. I, I was super compelled by this, just the whole concept of taking pictures of dead relatives at the dawn of photography. Like, I thought that was a fascinating story with so much great kind of creepiness built into it. And then it just comes completely off the rails in this four and a half minute trailer uh, that... Become so many different movies that I, I'm not sure what to make of it. Uh, it definitely it's a it's both <laughs> it takes place both in uh, history and contemporary um, sort of society, and that's where the horror is. The ghost comes back through time, but man, the spider walk and all of that stuff. I was just I I I, <laughs> I didn't as you could probably imagine. I didn't really connect with it uh, after that first jump scare when she opens her eyes. That was that was enough. Yeah, hard. yeah,
1: All right. No, there's some good creepy stuff in here. I, I've got to read this. Creepy, yeah. This is the uh, this is the plot summary that you can find on on uh, IMDb and also partially on Wikipedia. I it's that's <laughs> pretty funny just to read <laughs> uh, because one, it's just not written very bad, and two, the story sounds so strange. Nastia is a young woman who travels with her soon-to-be husband to his family home. Upon their arrival, she can't help but think that the visit may have been a horrible mistake. She is surrounded by strange people and starts witnessing strange, terrible visions as his family prepares her for a mysterious traditional Slavic wedding ceremony. More than the wedding preparations, can she survive the next few days?
0: <laughs> that's that's not the trailer. So. <laughs>
1: I like this. This is, this is this is this is from uh Wikipedia. Young girl Nastia with her lover went to meet with his family in his house, but being in this house, she questioned her decision. Many frights occur because of Liza's love for her brother.
0: <laughs>
1: oh god. That's almost more fun than talking about the movie is just reading yeah, really, right? <laughs> really bad <laughs> plot synopses. <laughs> Oh, well. Well, this one, it already opened in Russia and Estonia in January. Um, No release dates yet for the U.S., so who knows? Uh, Maybe we'll never get a chance to see this wonderful film, but
0: there you go. Oh, oh, you'll see it. We we shall see it. I'm sure it will be seen. Uh, You know, Andy, no one can walk on foot to America, not on any conditions. America is an island.
2: bit of herring.
1: Here's some bread. You can't
2: eat only herring. It's
0: good. Yeah. The Emigrants, Andy, 1971. The film was released in Sweden in uh, 1972 in the United States. Uh, it was uh, directed by Jan Troll and written by Jan Troll and uh, edited by Jan Troll. It stars Max von Sydow and Liv Ullmann. And Eddie Axberg and Pierre Lindstedt, and many other people whose names I will butcher throughout the course of the evening tonight. Uh, this film comes to us by way of at Fegfi on Instagram. Finn Froda from Norway. He won the great contest last year, and this is his shot uh, at the, the uh, listener's choice. So he chose The Immigrants. It is, it, it is not a Norwegian film, uh, it is a, a Swedish film, but that's okay. And he's going to tell us all about it tonight. Now, usually when we do these Listener's Choice uh, episodes, the winner joins us on the show. But Finn was, uh, did, did not want to join us on the show. But he did instead write us a beautiful two-page essay on why he selected this film for our conversation tonight. And we loved it so much that we've decided to actually bring in an actor to play the role of Finn for our purposes this evening. So anytime you hear lilting pastoral music and the voice of our very own Tommy Handsome, you'll know that you're actually hearing Finn Frodo's thoughts on the immigrants. What do you think, Andy? Can we pull this off?
1: You bet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <Okay>. maybe. <laughs> Jeez. I was trying to be more positive. That was that did not communicate positive win. anyway. Yeah, you sure. go back <laughs> to your
0: hole of despair. here we go. Let's toss it to to our man Finn to talk to us a little bit about why he chose the immigrants.
2: Thanks to one of my favorite pastimes, I guess the movie challenge, I am the lucky picker for the first listener's choice this year. Being from Norway, I thought I should pick a Norwegian movie, but I don't think the interesting ones are available outside Norway or in English. So I soon settled on a movie with one of our two actresses with some success in Hollywood. The biggest Norwegian star ever is, of course, Sonja Heaney. So big that even Donald went to a skating rink to get her autograph. I am, of course, talking about Donald Duck in the 1939 film, The Autograph Hound. However, while it might be a lot of fun to watch a golden age figure skating movie, I have instead chosen another path, migration. Migration is a hot topic here in Europe nowadays. I have heard it's the same in America and other parts of our world also. So the 1971 Swedish grand epic, The Emigrants, should be a timely pick. The movie was directed by Jan Trell, based on the two first emigrant books of the Swedish writer Wilhelm Moberg, called The Emigrants and The Immigrants, directly translated from Swedish. The novels were released in 1949 and 1952, with two more volumes released in 56 and 59. The books soon became very popular and sold 2 million copies in Sweden, and they have been translated to more than 20 languages. In 1995, the two B's in ABBA, Bjorn Elvius and Benny Andersson, made a musical version, Christina from Duvmala, with no less than 40 musical numbers. The emigrants follows a group of poor Swedish farmers, farmhands, and religious outcasts in the mid-1800s. Their hardship brings them to emigrate to America, but will their hardship come to an end there? From around 1850 to 1920, one and a half million Swedes emigrated out of a population of just over four million, mostly to North America. From Norway, which was in a union under the Swedish crown from 1814 to 1905, around 800,000 of a population of a little over one and a half million emigrated in the same period. Around 20 to 25% returned to their homelands after a while.
0: This is an, it, it's actually an amazing story, Andy. The immigrants, right? I, I found myself, I, I just watched it last night. It is a powerfully human film, right? It documents moments in these lives uh, that are, are relatively small, like these small sort of intimate farm lives, but they're dramatic in their own way, right? We, we get birth, we get death, we get starvation and disease and loss, and it's all at a very sort of intimately human scale how did this uh, how did it hit you uh, as you were watching it
1: pretty much the same I mean I really was drawn into uh, just the the day-to-day um, the redundancy the 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 pain the suffering the difficulty man did I just get a sense of how hard it was to live at this particular time and man were they just always picking rocks up or what jeez uh. I mean their, their medicine was terrible they had no you know idea of birth control it was just it was just terrible like it was such a difficult time um, yeah. and then to go through this whole thing where you're trying your hardest you're trying so hard to be a farmer and nothing's going right because the weather is just crap
0: and, <laughs> and then lightning know, strikes your barn and, and right
1: like, it's like and then you smite god <laughs> it's like yeah let's go to let's let's voyage across the sea to this great new world and boy, does that journey suck! Malarial <laughs> right? plague and seasickness, and just uh, you know lice and just everything else. I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible experience. And that's the the um, the sense of the detail of uh, just kind of what it was like in the 1850s to be a, a Swedish person in a small town who decides to make this change in their life and what it could mean. And by the time you get to the end of the film and you see that final moment with, uh, Carl Oscar, um, just sitting there with that smile on his face. Um, it's like, what a wash of relief you have come over you. And I can only imagine, uh, what waits in store in the next film, because this, this is kind of this double feature, uh, that they shot, uh, uh, paired together, uh, the immigrants and the new land. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I I I imagine it's not just all hunky-dory now that they've found
0: their yeah. new chunk yeah, of land. Right. Um, well, but, and yeah, that yeah. was my yeah. sense. When I got to the end of the movie, well, you know, I, I felt that, that feeling of, like, relief, right? He made it to the—he made it. He got his family there. Uh, but I found myself— uh, I I find it hard to be super critical of the film because it tells a story that that I would have been you know like I would have been the guy crushed by the boulder right early on <laughs> early on I would have just said do you know do you have any bears because I'd like to just go end it <laughs> I can't I'm not built for this I you know I'd like to hope that you know there's something in my genetic catalog that would allow me to kind of flip a bit and be able to handle that kind of lifestyle. I can't like consciously reach into that. So I would have been done. And yet I found myself like uh, finding these mega long sequences and rather loose framing and cinematography, uh, it it pretty tiresome. I, I was fatigued watching this film and yeah. not bored but really fatigued like I just it was it was a lot it was a lot it was very heavy and each of the major sequences right we have the major sequence at the beginning where we, where they're farming and there everything's failing and uh, the younger brother is on the lamb running from the law which is really polite the law was an incredibly polite element in this film, which <laughs> surprised me a little bit, and then we have them journeying down to the boat and and to the boat trip, and then we have them trying to find their new property. Those are kind of the the major three sections. I don't know if I missed something big in there, but that's kind of what it felt like to me. And um and and all of those it felt sort of small and fatiguing until I got to the end and realized just how far this family had come from the beginning <laughs> three hours ago. They came a long way. And yet, the movie made it feel like uh, it didn't really go that far. You know, I don't know. I I felt
1: like, um, I, I felt like a lot happened. I mean, it you really do move quite a bit, and and, and I certainly got a sense of the of the journey, um, and certainly got a sense of the fatigue. I mean, there definitely is yeah. that. I mean, there's there's so many. Just you're right up in there in close shots with these actors as they're going going through all these different situations that you really feel like. You're right there with them, and it it is exhausting. on the boat. She
0: was super sick, and she leans over and puts her hand on the side of the boat. Was that somebody on the bunk above her vomiting down the wall that she sticks her hand in? I because you know, that I right know. grossed me out. That was a <laughs> really horrible, horrible. I mean, they painted the the picture of the emigrant boat in the very worst possible way. Like that that was awful. Well, that's all
1: I could think of when.
0: Um, when the brother
1: throws up on the stairs, is like somebody's bed is probably right under those stairs, and he's yes. just throwing up right on top
0: of them, right on, on top of top. And they're just
1: horrible. like, yeah, here it goes again. Oh yeah. No, it's you know, uh, this this uh, this film is based off of. Um, there's a novel series called the Immigrants series, uh, written by Wilhelm Moberg and this film is based on the first two novels the immigrants and unto a good land and the second film the new land is actually based on the the last two of the books in this four book series um but this this series of books is incredibly incredibly important in in swedish culture it's considered generally to be among the best pieces of swedish literature they have a statue of these characters. I mean, it's kind of a big thing, and I, I think um, it represents just kind of some of the uh, the struggles and the difficulties that some of these people have gone through, and I think it's a very interesting uh, interesting look at the the lives. And it is, I mean, it is a difficult. Uh, you know, just a troubling. Um, journey that these people take but i think it's you know it's one of these decisions that people make in their lives where they're like you know i'm going to do this and i'm going to make this change to you know hopefully make things better not everything it turns out better for everybody i mean some of these characters die along the journey that we're traveling with but you know we're kind of going along hoping that you know at least let our our you know husband and wife protagonists make it through and you know they do despite losing you know kids and everything else but it's a, it's a it's a very difficult journey but
0: um they do they lose one and they find another uh, right there, there is a, a sequence when they're waiting to get on the boat, and they think one of the one of their children has has run off in the woods, and they're going to have to leave that child there because they're trying to make it to the new land or up the river. And and uh and they, but they end up finding the child, and that was one of those little teases. Like I, I, I found myself dramatically kind of hoping that they'd lost the child. I wanted to see that Sophie's Choice, Ugh. and then they found the child. So I was a little bit. uh I was a little bit frustrated by that. I found that that was that was one of those sort of human level crises that I wanted to see played out a different way.
1: I felt like I've de- seen enough of that in the film. I mean, their <laughs> other daughter overeats and they don't know what to do, so she just dies of bloating. <laughs>
2: it's just Yeah. Oh, gotta be, careful oh, 1850s, be
1: careful the porridge. Please be careful of the porridge. Jeez.
0: Oh, yeah, it was tough. Let's uh let's shall we hear what uh, Finn has to say about the the uh, script? Let's
2: Soon, interest in filming the books became a topic. Rumor has it that John Ford was one of those who wanted to adapt the books. But for Arthur Moberg, this was no topic at all. That was until he saw Jan Troell's Here Is Your Life in 1966. Now he had found the only director he thought could do his material justice. And he told this to the press. Jan Troell, which had not read the books at the time, read Moberg's statements in the paper and started his work. Together with producer Bingst Forslund, he wrote the scripts for two movies and started casting.
0: You know, I think it's interesting that we've got uh, Jan Troll. We didn't re- really say this uh, up front, but this guy, when you look at his, his catalog, he really is a one-man movie-making machine. Now, I know other people were involved. I mean, I saw them on film but the guy co-wrote the the script adapted the script directed and cut and 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 shot the the film that's that's a lot of weight for a what was originally released as a 3 hour and 11 minute movie and this is just part 1
1: Right? Yeah. It's it's uh, quite a lot of work that he puts into this. I don't know if he does uh, with all of his stuff. I mean, he's a filmmaker
0: who's been doing stuff since uh, 1960. Well, I looked at it down the line. It's like 24, 25 out of his 28 credits. He's, he's credited as all three roles. Wow. Yeah,
1: he is. Uh, you're right. I, I'm kind of scrolling down now. Um, so he really likes to do a little bit of everything and, uh, you know, he just, he clearly has a sense of control. He knows what he wants and he pushes to get it. So it's very interesting that he does, but I mean, man, he's still, well, I shouldn't say he's still working. It doesn't look like he's done anything since 2012, but I, I mean, he is a filmmaker who's done a lot of projects and, uh, uh, you know has been keeping very busy it looks like he's really shifted into documentary work for the most part um since the uh, late 80s although throwing in a few features here and there his last film was um was a, a feature called the last sentence which uh, i why do i feel like i heard of that did you hear about that one
0: no i have i have no memory of it
1: uh, i was feeling like maybe it was nominated for uh best foreign language film but maybe i'm wrong
0: what do you think about uh, about how he and and banked Forceland, uh constructed the screenplay?
1: I think that it's a uh uh I mean I haven't read the books, but I get a uh a, it's it's really interesting how they take this epic epic journey of these uh these different people as they go on this journey and you get bits and pieces of their lives, but the the script does not give you a lot of um heads up on how things are moving and shifting and you really have to just kind of grab on and hold on tight and and make sure you you're paying attention because things just change and shift a lot and sometimes you're in a situation like you know you you have a situation where at the beginning of the film you you have a, a dinner scene with um the dad and his two sons max von uh Seidow and the other brother i'm i'm forgetting his name right now i think it's uh, eddie axberg as robert and they're talking about uh dad is talking about how he wishes that Robert would get a job. All of a sudden, we cut and now we're with Robert and this uh this friend of his Arvid played by Pierre Lindstedt and they are um bunking together at this job. And and all of a sudden, like we've jumped forward in time. And Robert's got a job. He's a farmhand now and he's trying to get to know Arvid, his his bunkmate. Um, while they uh, deal with working at this farm. But it's like it doesn't give you a lot of leeway. You just have to kind of grab and hold on and and really kind of um, just start picking at little pieces so that you can figure out exactly what's going on. It does this quite a bit throughout the film, particularly in the beginning as it moves forward. And uh, you just have to um, trust that you're going to uh, land with it as it, uh, as it gets where it's going. That to me is a really interesting way of storytelling where they don't give you a lot of, um, uh, a lot of help. Um, but I, I think that it's a, as long as you're paying paying attention, I do think that it's actually pretty effective story construction because it helps get a lot of stuff told um, in a pretty short period of time.
0: I think so, too. I think that also adds to the sort of fatiguing, the cognitive fatigue that you get watching this film, because you really have to pay attention, as you say, particularly in the first part of the movie. Once you get into it, you know, once you figure out who these people are and how they relate to one another, I think it's made it particularly difficult uh, because, it, you know, as an older film, the transfer is not great. The audio is not great. It's dubbed, uh, at least the version. I don't know. Did you watch it subtitled somehow?
1: On Amazon, yeah.
0: Oh, see, I I watched it. Uh, the the iTunes version was dubbed, very frustrating, and uh, and so you know, it it is what it is. But uh, it, it was tough to hear, and and I feel like I missed, you know, as as you usually do when you watch something dubbed. I feel like I missed probably ten percent of the movie. Ah, oh, it's too bad.
1: And what's frustrating is Criterion has has a nice new release out there, but for some reason it's not accessible via like Netflix. You can't rent the discs from Netflix. Um, I don't really know what that's all about. So it's, it's, it's more difficult to get this one unless you're just uh, willing to purchase it or watch it on, I guess, uh, Criterion's uh, new channel. One other bit about story construction, though, I thought was interesting is for a film called The Emigrants, it's interesting how the story also doesn't really give you a sense of the direction it's going. I mean, obviously, we know where it's going from the title, but you don't even hear about North America until about a half hour into the film. And I thought that was just a really interesting way to construct this story where it's just this it's this nugget that ends up popping in pretty late in in the in the first act. Um, so it's you know, I liked that about the way that the story's told, I guess.
0: I, I did, too. And and, you know, not to belabor the fatiguing part, but the thing that that sort of comes to me at the end of the film is the the reward the, the kind of celebration that we are along with the ride with Max and family, that they made a decision in a time and place that absolutely upended everybody. I mean, it's not like, you know, today I think I might move to another city, and first I better give notice, but I'm going to give notice with a healthy safety net because, you know, I don't want to be out of work, so then I'm I'm going to start looking for a job, and I only want to move once I have a job and know kind of where I'm going to live. These people left their farm with nothing, no plan, no nothing. And they got on a boat for an indeterminate length of time and they landed somewhere. Like, that is an experience that I I think he captured really well in terms of the the construction of the narrative in the screenplay so that when I hit the end of that film, um, that relief is is well earned.
1: I completely agree with you. Um, Yeah, it was really, uh, you really get a sense that this is what it was like going through that. Right. uh, It's pretty, pretty, uh, trying, uh, in the best way, in the best possible way.
0: I I think things get a a little bit sloppy for me when I look at Jan troll as a director, um, a director and cinematographer. I feel like I have to talk about those things together. I did not like the way he used the camera. Uh, I, I found it super distracting, distracting, disconnected almost like, uh, it, it, took me away from the story I wanted to see rather than put me enough in it. I
1: ended up liking it. It, it reminded me a bit of Terrence Malick where the camera would kind of um, go on almost like these little journeys of the mind where it's, it's very uh, internal imagery um, that I liked quite a bit. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful shots of nature, a lot of really interesting uh, still shots that we get throughout. Um, I liked that sense of the world, sense of space, sense of time. But there's some really touching shots that do feel very much like intimate internal shots of people. Uh, the the beautiful shots of the flowers in the glass that that um, Liv Ullman's character, Christina, would kind of put in there. And, and um, uh, just that kind of, I, I got a sense that kind of the Terrence Malick sense from those shots. And it actually made me wonder if Terrence Malick was inspired by... This film and kind of the way that uh, Jan Troll uh, told his stories and kind of expanded on that in his own um, way of telling stories to the point where I find them, I find them
0: <laughs> difficult to watch. Well, I think the comparison to Terrence Malick is is apt for me because, you know, I'm I'm not crazy about much of Terrence Malick's stuff. I'm I'm re- really <laughs> yeah. not. I struggle I'm with not, it. I'm not either. It's, I do it- too. Right, and and I think that's kind of the feeling that I got here. That the the stuff that I didn't like was stuff I would absolutely put on the shoulders of Terrence Malick. I really like Voyage of Time, and and so I think about this film uh, pitched as a documentary. Maybe I would have liked it more.
1: Well, and see, I think this is almost like Terrence Malick light, or or Terrence Malick yeah. in a in a. <laughs> In an early stage, so I ended up liking this level of filmmaking. I liked the way that his camera captured moments. We got we got some interesting POV shots, and and the perspectives changed throughout. Like we got some POVs of Christina as she's in the swing, and we got some from Carl Oscar. I can't remember when, but I know we did. And and Robert, we got various uh, POVs and and kind of went internal with various characters throughout the storytelling. Um, and oh, Christina, when details. she was sick
0: on the boat too—that was another yeah, great, yeah. great example. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I liked that he played with perspectives and and he gave us those internal moments and in the camera work, I found it all really captivating and strong. So um, it's, but it's one of those things where depending on how you are as as far as like Malik and Malick uh, types of filmmaking, it could be something that really um, doesn't work for you. So I. I, I can see why you might find it a little more difficult to watch.
0: Let's talk first shot, last shot.
1: Yeah, the film starts, uh, interestingly, we it's over black with the titles and some text on the screen, setting the scene for Sweden in the mid-1850s, including details about all the halfwits and idiots and all the people. <laughs>
0: What's uh, up with
1: <laughs> I was like, who, who are they setting us up to meet here? I wasn't quite sure. Right? They're the
0: villagers, oh. and then don't forget the whores and the idiots. Like, <laughs>
1: what? Um, but also the leaders, and I thought that was interesting, getting a sense of who actually leads these communities, because we certainly meet some of those uh, in the first uh, act of the film. Um, but we all of this is over sounds of nature, and uh, all paired with sound, a sound of somebody working You can't quite tell what it is until we start seeing images. We see grass and rocks. And after several shots, we see this wall and somebody's actually working on it, adding more rocks to it. So that is the first shot of the film.
0: And the last shot after our man Max, Carl Oscar, carves his name into a tree, marking his territory in Minnesota. Relaxing with a smile on his face, we cut up to a flock of birds flying across the sky And, uh, we, we end with, with this and the sounds of their calls. It is really, it's pastoral. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. And
1: it's also about, um, about journeys and really about marking your spot. In in the world, right? I mean, building. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have them building their walls at the beginning, and then marking the tree at the end. Um, you know, it's it's journeys of of nature and beings. We have you know um, uh, the birds are on their own journey, and it's kind of like this whole um, uh, trip that all of these different people take to find a place where they belong. And I I liked it. I mean, I I, I weirdly I felt like. Um, I liked the wall building paired with the tree carving a little better. The bird shot kind of came in uh, a little unexpectedly for me. I still liked it. I still liked kind of that that journey that these birds are going on.
0: Well, and the representation of freedom that that they can, I mean, we end on, like, we end building a wall and or we begin the film building a wall and we end the film with with freedom right that that that's is this is what this new world represents for us it's the ability to to grow in 3 feet of lush topsoil it's uh it's the ability to create Uh, A homestead that we never were able to create in our in our homeland and so um, you know for me it was it was really quite liberating but this is also the first time I felt at the very end of the film that I'm operating at a deficit by not having seen the next film because the big question that this leaves for me this sort of emotional question uh, cliffhanger hanging at the end of this film is was it worth it and we don't get that answer in this film Um, And and maybe that's a result of just knowing that there is another film that continues the story uh, that I absolutely want to see now. But this did not feel like a last shot to me. And and it it felt like an ellipsis.
1: I I think that's very uh, well put. It's like an ellipsis, a pause before we get into the next section of the story.
0: Let's move into the cast. You know, our our main man, Max von Sydow, plays Carl Oscar Nilsson. Why don't we start uh, with words from Finn?
2: For the main lead Carl Oscar, the choice was Max von Sydow, the greatest, quote, fantastic ever, ever. Fantastic is in quotes meaning not entirely realistic, like science fiction, fantasy, etc. His international break came from playing chess with death himself in the ultimate art house fantastic movie, The Seventh Seal, in 1957. He went on to roles like the world's most famous magician in The Greatest Story Ever Told. He has, of course, portrayed the devil as well, and roles in the following fantastic franchises, The Exorcist, Flash Gordon, Conan the Barbarian, James Bond, Dune, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Rush Hour, The Wolfmen, Robin Hood, Star Wars, and Game of Thrones, just mentioning franchises. And he is still working 60 years after his initial famous chess match. But in The Emigrants, it is not a, quote, fantastic movie. He had, of course, experience of those kind of movies, too, for one thing, playing in a bunch of movies by Igmar Bergman. And in four of those, he had played against the Norwegian actress Liv Ullman. What do
1: you
0: think of Max in the film?
1: He's an actor that I always like. I mean, he's always great in everything uh, that he does. And uh, I haven't seen him in, in as many of his older films, more uh, kind of the 80s and forward. But um, boy, do I enjoy watching him. He's got just incredible presence. And he really leads well, this family. I, I think he's just... Very powerful. He goes through so many emotions, and just uh, I, I think that he plays all of it um, really to perfection. I mean, he's just he's so good in this film.
0: Makes me want to go watch Intacto again. I was thinking, <laughs> that's
1: that's go weirdly. Minority Report is what popped into my head, but uh, <laughs> really, yeah, not funny. It's like <laughs>
0: that's really funny. That's I story. I love him in this film. I think he's he's really fantastic to watch because he's a giant. And uh, because he just can't stop having the sex, my goodness, it is such. That's the greatest hardship of the film is All right, this is really impossible for me to not have not have sex. And uh, I I thought that was uh, you know I I laugh about it, but that's a real tragedy in the 1850s. That is a really difficult thing is the urge, and I think uh, I think they they together. Um, they really captured that. They nailed it. Well, when your kids
1: uh, kind of keep falling like flies, I guess you almost have to, right? Yeah, right. jeez. Oh, it's just, it's just fr- so frustrating uh, the way things were back then. But yeah, it's very what difficult. Would, what would
0: Bill and Melinda Gates say? <laughs> their whole thing is about, about keeping people like Max from Sida, von Sydow from having the sex in 1850. It's their whole mission. Liv Ullmann as Christina Nilsson um, she's sort of the stoic she kind of she's a bit of a surprising character right yeah and I think you talk about how it's kind of hard you have to pay attention in the first part of the film she just sort of shows up she's just
1: there uh, again yeah it's just all of a sudden oh now she's in his life and um but was it what was interesting about her character is Considering that you know she's one of our protagonists, she's the the uh, maternal side of this family, she doesn't have a word of dialogue in the film until they're already married, they already have three kids, and the two of them are in bed, and they're kind of talking, and he says something, and then she replies. And that's the first time. And it's like, it takes a while, i, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or something like that, before um, she actually speaks in the film. But I thought that was a really interesting way to go as far as... Um, not giving her uh, much. Uh, I mean, she had plenty of acting to do, but she really felt like at the beginning she was just playing the um, what you'd kind of expect a wife to be in the 1850s.
0: Yeah, absolutely. She was, she was exactly that, and she was she was at once, you know, terrifically frail, uh, and, you know, you can see her developing that sort of strength as a result of, of her debilitating illness on the boat uh, and, as she comes out of it, you know, and, and uh, I thought she was fascinating to watch. And again, she is another one of those characters that I, I feel like I will be even more intrigued by in
2: the second film. Uh, let's hear what uh, what Finn has to say. Liv Allman made her domestic breakthrough not playing chess, but doing a jazzy strip tease in a cabin in the 1959 movie Ug Flunked, otherwise known as The Wayward Girl, by female director Edith Kalmar. In 1966, she played in Bergman's Persona, the first of many collaborations with him. Her female lead in The Emigrants as Christina became a stepping stone for her career as an actress in movies and on stage, and later as a director in both arenas. Her latest directorial outing was 2014's Miss Julie with Jessica Chastain and Colin Farrell. She has been nominated for two Oscars and won a Golden Globe for The Emigrants. The Norwegian and Swedish languages are close related, but significantly different, making it hard to speak the other language well. But the Swedes think that Liv Allman's excellent playing makes up for her strange Swedish tongue. Fun fact! One of the most famous Norwegians in Hollywood movies is, of course, the refugee Ilse Lund in Casablanca in 1942, played by a Swede, Ingrid Bergman. By the way, no one is called Ilse in Norway. That's not entirely true. There are exactly six people called Ilsa in Norway. 11.187 is called Lund, so that's okay. Later, Liv Ullmann played the daughter of Ingrid Bergman in Autumn Sonata in 1978. Fun fact, it's the only movie ever filmed in my hometown of Mold. The writer, Lynn Ullman, who is Liv Ullman and Igmar Bergman's daughter, played Liv Ullman's character's daughter in both The Emigrants and Autumn Sonata.
1: Do You, you know, what's funny about uh, Liv Ullman, and I know he wanted to pick a Norwegian actress, and uh, she's the reason that we're doing this. Um, I have only seen her in a few films, and I think they've all... Oh, no, I, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say, I think they've all been... Uh, Ingmar Bergman films I I think I've seen a few that weren't Ingmar Bergman films but I have such a hard time with Ingmar Bergman (laughs) (laughs) films and I'm really I I have to say uh, I know Persona was on uh, Finn's list of choices of films that uh, he might have wanted us to discuss and I'm really glad we're not talking about that because boy do I have a difficult time with that film (laughs) um but I but I do want to see some more stuff with Liv Ullman. Um and I mean she's she's very compelling to watch on screen. I as somebody who, like I said earlier, she starts so um passive as kind of the passive eighteen fifties wife, but I, I, I think that her character carried a lot of interesting strength. And so I really enjoyed that. And like you said, I think that there is probably a lot to see with what's going to happen with her in
0: the new land. Eddie Axberg uh, plays Robert Nilsson. Uh, he was the younger brother. Uh, he is the uh, he's the flibberty gibbet. <laughs> I I really liked him. I thought he was he was terrific. And much of the first act of the film really revolves around him. And he is in fact the character that inspires the the great emigration. Right. It starts with him trying to get out of this bad relationship with this other farmer. He wants to go someplace where he can own his own destiny as a young man. And he's trying to strike out and not have to serve at the hand of this uh, of this terrible boss. And and so it's him that sort of secretively comes up with this plan but then they realize they don't have the money to to actually execute so uh, that's that's when he he goes to his brother and says this is what I'm thinking about doing I feel like he really he he did a great job I loved the kind of Hobbit-esque uh, features of him, you know, as he's, as he's walking down the road, you know, and he's got the traditional wooden shoes and he lets those float away in the river with his hat. I don't know what that was all about. Uh, but, but I loved it. Uh, just his, his sort of connection with, um, sort of needing freedom and needing that kind of liberation. I, I really appreciated. it. He was
1: a very interesting character and, uh, I, I was, I was really kind of drawn to him and just story elements revolving around him, like the issue with his ear after he got hit um, really kind of mm-hmm. abusively oh, by, the tinnitus. by his worker. And not just tonight. well, I mean, tinnitus, but also just like, I mean, you know, there's the blood in his ear and just things like, I I wasn't sure if that was going to go somewhere um, farther in this particular film. But it does make me wonder if it does go farther in the New Land, if his ear becomes a, a real sign of issues or something like that. Yeah, right. Um, Really interesting character, and I liked the way that that everything kind of uh, kind of evolved from the direction he was going, and and like the conversations he had with the girl that he started liking on the boat, uh, really revolving around him and his uh, knowledge about English and America, uh, as as misplaced as some of it might have been. But he was just—I mean—he was a fascinating character, um, and you know, it's interesting looking at him as. As an actor, um, Eddie Axberg has nearly as many credits. I I shouldn't say that. I should say he actually has more credits um, in the sound department than he does as an actor. Uh, As an actor, I mean, he's been working up through uh, 2012, um, but... He's also been doing sound uh, through 2013 so far and and uh, it looks like wow. that's a huge part of his life is doing sound, which I think uh, is interesting considering the ear issues that he ended up having in this particular film like
0: well, he was only acting
1: he was, but like what a strange <laughs> strange twist. Hey, let's have you have ear like hearing issues, Mr. Sound man.
0: <laughs> We're going to give you an ironic career change
1: you're welcome. He actually um, did he, the sound for the for this pair of films. So he did? He did. He I was did the not sound. see that. That's
0: fantastic. He was the sound mixer, I know. So funny. Pierre Lindstedt played uh, Arvid, his buddy. What's not to like about Arvid?
1: Strange little goofball. I, I liked this pair. Um, I wasn't really sure where the relationship was going to go at the beginning because I couldn't quite tell. Initially, I was like, is Arvid kind of... Aggressive with him—is there going to be like issues between the two of them? Um, but then it it didn't go that way, and it all seemed fine. And I was like, oh, I totally misread this relationship. But again, right. that's because you're thrown into the story so quickly; it was hard to get a sense of um, what was happening. But um, but in the end, it was great seeing him uh, kind of take this journey with his buddy. So uh, I it, again. Another really interesting actor and somebody who's also been really busy. It looks like all of these people that we're talking about they were all involved in this film. The last sentence in 2012. So clearly that was a big film for for them and for uh, Sweden at this particular it was point in time. G-
2: a
0: good reunion film. Uh, it, it was. This was Sam and Frodo, right? Totally, totally. <laughs> That's who this is. Uh, we had uh, Alan Edval as Don, Daniel Andres Andresen. Andreasen, who's, uh, Christina's yeah. Andreasen, Andreasen, as Christina's uncle, uh, he was the um, sort of the the zealot, right? The religious yeah. zealot, right?
1: Yeah, convinced he had uh, his religion. Uh, he knew exactly what was right and wrong. And it's funny because I I kind of bought into it when he was back in in Sweden, and you know he was just kind of practicing his own thing. And I'm like, he's you know, it sounds like the the pastor was running things in a way that wasn't very good and this guy made a lot more sense but then once they started on the journey i'm like this guy is just bananas you know like yeah. as long as you're with the lord
0: you'll never get seasick i'm <laughs>
2: like who does
0: he think he is <laughs> i know it got worse it got worse from there uh and and you know he he ran into his own his own bit of crisis on the boat and i thought that was uh, i thought he played that well i was I was really interested in how he was going to sort of relate and and it kind of gives you more of a sense just his involvement in the in the film I, you know it gives you more of a sense of the scale of the emigration right and and just like Finn said early on, i mean this was this this was a massive emigration from Sweden, and uh, you know it it made it feel much more like we weren't just uprooting a family, we were uprooting a community. Uh, yeah. and so i i really appreciate that that community feel on the boat um you know and i i think he he was the anchor of of that for me
1: well and considering the the uh the pastor in town was such a kind of despicable character um it was really interesting seeing the conversation between the pastor and uh carl oscar when he came to kind of ask permission to leave and just kind of the the difficulty he had in convincing the pastor to let them go, and it's like mm-hmm. gosh they have to ask for permission and all this stuff, and the 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 guy's giving him nothing but grief about this thing and you you get a sense that this is a really disruptive thing, obviously for all these people who take the trip, but back in Sweden, half the community disappears, that's like half of the the workforce half of the 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 people you know who are growing the food and everything they're all gone it's like all of a sudden your community has drastically
0: changed too dramatically finn has this to say about monica zetterlund as Ulrika and hans Alfredsen as jonas peter
2: monica zetterlund as Ulrika. she was a world-class jazz singer and those interested should check out her album with bill evans trio waltz for debbie released in 1964 among the other actors and actresses in *The Immigrants*, I can point out Hase Alfredson as Jonas Peter. He is a major Swedish actor and director, and the father of Daniel Alfredson, director of 2009's *The Girl Who Played with Fire*, and Thomas Alfredson, director of 2011's *Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy*.
0: Music uh, by Eric Nordgren. This music was wildly out of context for this film for me, Andy. Me too. Wildly. (laughs) It was like a horror film. It would get so
1: intense and discordant. And I, you know, to a certain extent, I understood the direction that they were taking with the music because it's like, this is a, I mean, this is an upheaval in these people's lives. Like we've already said throughout this conversation, it is like a very, very difficult decision to make. You have no idea. It's all the unknown. I can get a sense why this intense discordant music might be the way to go. Um, But at the same time, it
0: was, it was a little
1: uh, added to the abuse, I thought.
0: (laughs) really discordant i don't think we can underscore how discordant it was it was it was real trauma uh to to these scenes even scenes of you know the the farmland burning the music made it a lot worse yeah i mean i i uh, yeah
1: it was like a horror movie (laughs) <laughs>
0: it was it was a horror movie score. It, it it almost felt like Andy it felt like like um like uh, music that had been dumped from some other project. You know what I mean? Like I need an original score, here's a movie that didn't get made. Unfortunately, it was a horror movie, but we're going to use it anyway. That's what I <laughs> that's what the the image I had in my head. I mean, I know that that has happened from time to time, so.
1: It was it was uh, a strange choice. I can again, I can see why they went with it though. I just it, it yeah. was it was it was aggressive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we've already talked about the new land as the the immediate sequel uh but this this story has been told a number of other times
1: yeah it's interesting it has been made a number of other times something else that we i don't know if we mentioned but this was actually filmed uh with the new land together they actually filmed both of these two movies back to back kind of all oh, lord of the rings-esque so it is kind yeah. of like that Uh, It's funny that we were making those comparisons. But yes, in 1974, um, over here in the States, we had a TV series called The New Land that was based loosely on this and its sequel. It starred Scott Thomas, Bonnie Bedelia, and Kurt frickin' Russell. That's right. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) What was he doing back then? He was in this show. Um, It was a very short-lived show. It actually only ran six episodes in 1974. Um, They have another seven floating out there that have never uh, been seen. Um, But uh, John Denver sang the theme song to it. It was very popular with critics. But unfortunately, they put it opposite All in the Family and uh, another popular show at the time called Emergency. And so it just never was able to find its footing. Um, But, you know, you have guest stars popping up like Lou Gossett Jr., Pat Hingle, Ed Lauder, David Huddleston. Very interesting. And uh, I just think it's so funny that this is this TV show that Kurt Russell was in that uh is just
0: living out there. Just fantastic.
1: Yeah, I know. I so want to funny. see
0: it. I do too now. I did you really try to curious. YouTube it? I didn't. I, I didn't. found the theme song from nineteen seventy four's The New Land by John Denver. It's like the opening credits run. So there's that. That's totally going in the show notes nice Finn's got some things to tell us about how this thing did an award season he's, he's beat you to it Andy
2: it was released in 1971 running a little over three hours it was nominated for a best foreign language movie Oscar in 1972 as well as for best picture and three other Oscars in 1973 for the two and a half hour long American cut It was released in 1971, running a little over three hours. It was nominated for a Best Foreign Language Movie Oscar in 1972, and later in 1973 for Best Picture and three other Oscars, that for the two-and-a-half-hour-long American cut. This was the same year as the sequel-slash-continuation The New Land was nominated for Best Foreign. The funny thing is that the winner of Best Movie in 1973 was The Godfather, another three-hour epic about American immigrants from Europe, which got a sequel the next year, half an hour longer, and just as good. Those were the days.
1: What he didn't point out, Pete, uh, (laughs) that when it was in fact nominated for Best Foreign Language Film in 1972, it did lose to Vittorio De Sica's The Garden of the Finzi Continis. And in uh, 73, he mentioned that it lost to The Godfather. That was for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay. But also to uh, Liza Minnelli for Cabaret, uh, Liv Ullman lost for Best Actress in a Leading Role. This was actually the third non-English film to be nominated for Best Picture. Um, and I guess to, the, to date, I believe there have only been nine uh, uh, non-English films nominated for Best Picture. This is the third following Grand Illusion and Z. Do you have any guess what the others are? There are some recent ones.
0: Well, w- uh, um, what was the one with what's his name who jumped all over the chairs?
1: Yes, that is one of them. Correct. Ber- that is Roberta. Uh, right? Ber- uh, Bern- yeah, Roberta Benini.
0: Roberta Benini. <laughs> Bern-
1: Bernardo Battucci. Right, right. That is life is beautiful. Uh, that That's was nineteen ninety eight. Right. We also have uh, after this one actually the very next year we had Cries and Whispers from Sweden. And then we had Il Postino, The Postman, uh, which was in Italian and Spanish in 1995. Like you mentioned- I should have guessed is, that one. Life is Beautiful in 98. One you should definitely have mentioned, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in 2000. Oh,
0: crying out loud.
1: Letters from Iwo Jima, uh, which was yep. uh, in 2006. And Amour, which was a pretty recent one back in 2012.
0: What was Amour? Which one was that? That
1: was the French was uh, French film about the, the uh, husband and wife and the- um, uh the wife wants to die
0: well that doesn't sound like a more
1: it's or no is it the husband who wants to die one of them wants to die i can't remember mm. now it's very difficult okay. very hard film to watch
0: and uh finn gives us some final comments as a dream is born in darkness
2: a seed begins to grow for some strange reason i have never seen the emigrants myself even though i might have seen some of it on tv in 1974 while just five years old but now both movies are available on blu-ray in original cut both in america and europe so i have my copy ready now and will watch it as soon as i can get my family to sit down for three plus three and a half hours in the space that we call sharing, we will raise I
0: wonder if he 'll actually have had a chance to watch this movie by the time he hears our review of it. I
1: hope so. One can only hope that he 's going to sit down and watch this movie that we just
0: watched to discuss with him <laughs> Finn <laughs> I have to say though he did the yeoman 's work on this uh, on this essay. It was a real treat to read, and even better even more of a treat to have Tommy read it to us. Uh so thank you uh, Finn for your participation there. This was a great uh, it, it totally worth seeing and and I I'm really glad to have it in the catalog even if it was a, a fatiguing experience. Uh, How did it do, Andy, in the box office? Do we know? Well, Troll
1: shot this, like I said, and The New Land back-to-back almost as one film. So it's a bit tricky to give the numbers because a lot of what's actually provided is for really the entire project. For example, the two films together cost 7 million krona to make, at the time the most expensive Swedish film to make. To a certain extent, when the combined length of the two films is around 7 hours, that makes perfect sense For my simple purposes here, I'll just assume the two films split the budget evenly at 3.5 million krona each, which in U.S. dollars would have been about 678,000, or just over 4 million in today's dollars. That's a great budget to have for such an epic story. And when I say great budget, it's like, that's impressive. Yeah, 4 million dollars. It's like, wow, they got a lot out of that money. Um, The film was released on March 8th in Sweden, where it made uh, 19, almost 20 million krona, making its money back with ease. That's about uh, $3.8 million in 1972 U.S. dollars, or just under $23 million today. The Immigrants played around the world, having a limited release in the U.S. in New York City starting on September 24th, 1972, though the film was reduced from 190 minutes to 150 minutes at the time. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any info on how it did here, but my suspicions are that it had a very limited run, enough to get some award recognition. Um, but... Hey, it looks like it at least uh, was already financial successful before hitting our shores. Uh, With the info I found from its play in its home country alone, the film ended up having an adjusted profit per finish minute of $99,000.
0: Nice work if you can get it, Andy. I I think it's time for us to uh, head over and uh, uh, rank it, don't you think? Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash reel. And uh, or you can just swipe over to the show notes there on your podcast app of choice and you will see it, it just says FlickChart. Tap on that. It'll take you straight to the Emigrants at FlickChart.com and you can add it to your own list. Let's see how it stacks up against our own.
1: First up, we have the emigrants or Joe versus the volcano.
0: Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm going with Joe. Uh, the emigrants or the sandlot.
0: It's the sandlot.
1: I I think I got more out of The Emigrants. It's a harder film to watch. The Sandlot is definitely a breeze to watch. But I just really, um, I just thought the characters were fascinating in The Emigrants. So I'm going with The Emigrants.
0: All right, let's do it.
1: All right, ready? One,
0: two, two, three. three. Paper. And she falls.
1: And that's the way it goes sometimes. The emigrants or say anything.
0: I probably uh oh I probably say anything. Yeah,
1: I think I'm gonna say say anything here also. The emigrants are Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, everybody's favorite Indiana Jones wow. movie. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh I, I would say the emigrants. The emigrants, definitely. The emigrants or Christmas in Connecticut. The emigrants for me. The emigrants for me too. The emigrants or murder by death. Definitely the emigrants <laughs> for me. <laughs> Really? <laughs> uh,
0: okay, emigrants for me, too. That was uh, the vote of shame. <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> the emigrants are stripes. Definitely the emigrants for me.
0: No, 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 definitely. no. Definitely. No. I had so many issues no. with, this,
1: with stripes, yeah. Totally.
0: totally I, totally You have emigrants. more issues now just because I'm saying stripes. This no. is you just being belligerent. <laughs>
1: absolutely not no i no that we movie, got it we're doing it oh, yeah all
0: right fine yeah yeah oh yeah
1: get ready i think you are forgetting our issues with stripes but whatever that's fine <laughs> <laughs>
0: here we go all right one, one two, two three, three. scissors <sighs>
1: <sighs> okay
0: all right i see your strategy that's
1: now. right the emigrants or god with the wind the emigrants the emigrants yes all right. Well, it's dropped pretty low on our chart, but it doesn't mean that it's not a great film. I really enjoyed it. It's a, it is a difficult one, but it ended up at 257 on our chart.
0: Wow. That's
1: a lot lower than I thought. Yeah. It was up against, you know, some tough choices, though. But I mean, it's it's... You know, it's it's right next to Bull Durham. Say anything, Gone with the Wind, Stripes. It's in it. You know, it's there are good things around it.
0: There are definitely good things around it. It is worth seeing if you if you're into a certain kind of movie, right? This epic kind of journey drama, uh, family drama. It's it is uh, it's definitely something to put in your catalog. I can see how it it might be too fatiguing for certain contemporary audiences. I can absolutely see that and and dare say i resemble that remark but it was it was worth seeing and by the end i felt really good having watched it
1: yeah and it's it's definitely one that i mean i watched this and instantly wanted to put on the new land so i was really impressed with how well they they built this story and it does feel complete like you feel like you get to a point where it ends but you still want to journey on with this family and see what happens next
0: Really impressive. So thank you very much, Finn, for dropping this in our laps. Congratulations again. Great essay. And uh, what does this do for your Letterbox ranking? com slash The Next Reel. This is a four-star
1: film for me. Um, yeah. It's certainly something I really enjoyed. It's a very powerful film. It's a difficult film to watch,
0: but it still is four stars for me. Yeah, it's four stars for me, too. Same reasons. Ditto. Ditto. Ibid. <laughs> where, where does this go? Where do we go from here? Talk about a context shift.
1: I know, Right. We're going to be uh, jumping into a whole new world. Uh, we're going to be joining the Hughes brothers for a few of their films. We're going to be looking at Menace to Society from Hell and the Book of Eli, getting a nice little dose of uh, kind of throughout their career. It's going to be an exciting little uh, journey. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one too. Until then, I got to go to bed.
1: Hey, before you go to bed, will you read to me some from that uh, book about America? Okay.
0: Amazon giveth, Andy. As Amazon always doeth. You know, I got a five-star.
2: I oh, got a five-star, and I
0: just want to celebrate someone who who captured the same sentiment that I have when watching this film. This is a this is uh Daniel, he he writes, Wow, beautiful filming. While telling a story, it is poetry on film. The hardships they had to endure in the old country and the not easy journey to America is what it is all about. The whining crybabies of our time should see this and discover what their ancestors had to go through to get here. The New Land is a sequel and just as good. Look for it. You whining crybabies. <laughs> <laughs> there may be some editorializing editorializing there on my part. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Well, I got a three-star from Stephanie who says, <laughs> have not finished, fell asleep. Don't watch foreign movies when sleepy. It's too much like reading a book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Poor Stephanie hasn't read a book in about 18 years. (laughs) Oh, Stephanie. Oh, Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie. (laughs) Thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022...